You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversations with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I've recently created a private community for us to continue these supportive and uplifting conversations. Click the Join the Art of Parenting Community Here button on this page and I will see you there. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Art of Parenting. This is your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. And today I have the lovely Eloise Rickman, all the way from London in the UK. And I'm just thrilled to have a conversation with Eloise because we um, met online a few months ago. We talked about doing this interview and we were going to talk about the rhythms of of life and uh, being at home. And then, well, I think our world has, you know, turned upside down for a lot of us for practically everyone. And we're going to have the same conversation, but with the reality that we're all home with our children today. So Eloise, I'm just thrilled to have this conversation with you today. And thank you so much for making the time to be with us. I'm delighted to be here. I've been looking forward to it for a long time now. Yes. And isn't it strange how we, you know, we had planned on having this conversation around what you're you're known for is this rhythm of life and, and homeschooling and such. And lo and behold, we're all in the situation today. So I think it's just a perfect timing to be speaking with you. Absolutely. So um, I always like to start my interviews with a question or, or more a definition. And that is what how would you define the art of parenting? Oh, that's such a good question. I think for me, the art of parenting is when we're able to realize that actually parenting has very little to do with our children and an awful lot to do with us as parents. And I think that when we are young parents, you know, we're you know, getting ready to greet our baby for the first time, or we have a small child on our hands. All of the books seem to be, you know, how do I do this? They're very practical. You know, how do I get my baby to sleep through the night? How do I feed my baby? How do I wean my baby? Um, But I think the more our children perhaps grow, and we grow into our parenting, I think we start to realise that actually, our parenting, the art of parenting, is not really about whether or not your child brushes their teeth without complaining. It's not really about, you know, kind of your child at all. It's not really about their behavior, how obedient they are, how conflict free your home is. I think for me, the art of parenting is being able to step back and almost parent ourselves so that we can show. Mm 
you know, as, as the humans that our children need us to be and as the humans that we want to be. Because I think so often parenting, although it's a beautiful, rich, rewarding experience, can be highly triggering for us, actually, as parents. You know, it can bring up so many feelings which perhaps were lying dormant since our own childhood. So I think taking that step back and realising that Maybe it's not actually your child who has a problem. Maybe it's that you need to, you know, do some digging. I think in parenting speak, we often call it inner work. This idea of, you know, really meditating upon yourself and what is helping you to be the sort of parent you want to be. So I think for me, that is the art of parenting. It's recognising that actually parenting is about ourselves much more than it is our lovely children. Yes, and so true. And and I love how you say that it's really about parenting ourselves. You know, I know that we talk a lot about this in conscious parenting of really understanding, like you say, what is the deeper, (laughs) the deeper meaning in our triggers, why we're being annoyed or frustrated and such. And that inner work is so very important. Um, And yet at the same time, it's funny, because when you were talking about it I was like oh my gosh I don't want to turn off any parents to be like (laughs) you know it is it is a a fun adventure too to do the inner work like we we get to unveil and understand a lot about ourselves absolutely I think it is without a doubt one of the most you know rich and joyful experiences and I think that what you know I think we often as you say talk about this sort of deep conscious parenting work Um, Mm -hmm. which can be, you know, difficult, borderline traumatic, looking back at our childhoods at the difficult things. But what I've realised is taking time to really think deeply about, okay, what are my parenting values? What's important to me? What do I want to pass on to my daughter? I'm in the very fortunate position where it's actually made me realise just what a great job my parents did, actually. And it's, I think, really Mm. much closer to them because in understanding my own trigger points and in understanding my own reflexes and reactions I've really come to I think have a lot more empathy for my own parents and yeah to really find those moments of joy with my daughter as well it's actually been a really beautiful process Mm, that's beautiful thank you for that Um, and I would love uh, now if you would mind sharing with our listeners a bit more about yourself and just how you came to do the work you do. And and I, I do have to say that I just love your Instagram handle, which is Mighty Mother, because <laughs> it's just so, so beautiful in that sometimes we do feel so mighty. So um, I would love for you to just share a little bit of how you came to do the work you're doing today. Of course. Well, I think that handle is interesting, isn't it? Because it is joined Instagram a few months after my daughter was born so my daughter is five and I live with her and my husband in a little house in South London in the UK and when she was born I think I did have this feeling really for the first time of my life of this kind of power as you say that I felt suddenly you know I had created this amazing person that was completely unique and completely herself And I think there is something deeply, you know, I felt very mighty, I think, after having my baby. And it was a really amazing experience for me. Um, And at the time, 
she was born, I was working in London as a government press officer. So very different work from the work now. And I took maternity leave and we're very lucky here in the UK that um, for a lot of people you can take maternity leave up to a year. So I know that we're very in a very fortunate position compared to um, some listeners perhaps in other countries. But I booked my, my year of maternity leave off and promptly threw myself into discovering this amazing wild journey of motherhood and reading all of the books I could read on parenting and on Montessori and on the Waldorf approach and suddenly you know the scales kind of fell from my eyes as I started reading about I remember reading Alfie Cohn's book Unconditional Parenting and that was like a wow you know this is a real paradigm shift here um and so I read about this and read about this and as I was saying before a lot of what I was reading actually made me realize that this was not totally dissimilar to the kind of early childhood I had had actually I was home educated until I was six and a half um and we had you know my parents didn't have much money but it was a very slow very simple incredibly rich childhood where we played outdoors all the time and went to the library and the beach and um you know and I found myself thinking about how it would feel for me to go back to work leaving my you know little daughter and it just made me feel really challenged and really upset and I just thought I want to be able to give my daughter this gift that I feel my parents gave me so um, after a lot of very sleepless nights and a lot of kind of number crunching we realized that we could just about make it work if I quit my job with the idea that I would retrain to do something else which was more flexible around my daughter so I took a deep breath quit my job um, and retrained as a doula and as an antenatal educator here in London. And that was amazing. And I really loved working with parents-to-be. But I kind of felt that I was saying goodbye to them sort of just when things got really interesting. And I still love now talking about pregnancy and birth. And, you know, I absolutely love it when my friends are expecting babies because I can geek out with them. But I felt like actually the really the really juicy good stuff is what comes after that, that whole process and journey into parenthood. And around the same time, I started, as you say, my Instagram account, and I started blogging as well. And the more that I wrote about this kind of journey I was on in terms of parenting and very early years, kind of, you know, education at home, I found that you know, the more my audience grew and the more I felt really compelled to move into this line of work. And I was getting messages from parents saying, you know, this is really cool what you're sharing with us. Is there a way to work together? So I took the plunge and decided a few years ago to put my first online course up and it sold out really quickly and things kind of went from there. So I feel incredibly privileged and lucky to be able to do this work that I love so much and yeah so now I'm home educating Frida just like I had hoped to do and I share that with my husband so we work sort of flexibly around each other he works full-time but in slightly strange flexible hours 
and I do a couple of days a week as well so that enables us to homeschool and usually Frida would go to a childminder for a morning a week but of course as the time of we're recording she is not going anywhere <laughs> so that's yes yeah that's beautiful and, and I just love how you know your I can your your need or your passion to stay with Frida and wanting to give her the childhood that you had really you know evolved into the beautiful work that you're doing now for for parents worldwide so I just I always love how you know these personal needs or these personal kind of awakenings just bring us to do the work uh, that we're doing. So that's lovely. Yeah, it's lovely. Excuse me? I was just going to say it's interesting seeing how um, I think so often we can, you know, start out on one path and end up on a completely different journey. And yet it feels like at every turn it's kind of been the right choice at the right time. Definitely. But I think, you know, this comes from, you know, what you said about really listening to ourselves and, and taking that moment that you took to to parent yourself and to to just ask, like, what is it that you really needed or wanted to do in that parenting journey? And, and you know, I think oftentimes we don't take the time to ask those questions. Um because, you know, you asking that question, crunching numbers, uh, you know, checking in with your husband, all of that made it that you were able to reinvent yourself. And that is that is just a beautiful process, I think. And I would encourage anybody listening to to ask those questions. Yes. And I think sometimes, like you say, we sometimes don't ask them. And I think mm -hmm. given the just the frantic pace of life that we live at so many of us it can be really difficult actually to take that time and slow down and ask ourselves those questions because they might lead to as we were saying potentially bigger conversations and it can sometimes feel too overwhelming or perhaps too there are too many unknowns um so yeah I would I would echo your recommendation as well if anyone is thinking about these big life choices and I think that at the moment, actually, what I'm hearing, and I'm, I'm sure you're hearing the same thing as well from lots of the parents you work with, is so many of my clients and the parents in my kind of circles are saying, you know, they're really, that this crisis we're living through at the moment is really making them reconsider a lot of things about their life and about their children's lives and their relationships. And I think this is a, a really potent time, perhaps, for some of these these conversations and, and thoughts and perhaps even daydreams definitely definitely I think it's it's making us reevaluate kind of the the like you say the you know the fast-paced life that we are leading and we've you know we've been asked to stay home our children aren't in schools anymore and we're suddenly you know living with them 24 hours 7 and uh you know it is challenging for for many and i and like you i've been hearing also a lot of beautiful positive kind of awareness that is you know being you know i don't know the other day i had a mom say 
that it was just exceptional how their children were actually getting along <laughs> or that children were helping around the house or that they were enjoying, you know, having game nights and things like that, that are, I think, things that we are always striving for, but because, you know, we are in such a fast pace and, and kind of overscheduling ourselves and our children that we, we miss out on all of that. So, so yes. And, and to me, this is a good segue also for you to be talking about that whole idea of how do we kind of put in place a respectful rhythm of life in our homes with with our children our partners and such and I think that it's one of those things where at the beginning you know I speak to so many parents who say I know that having a rhythm to our days or weeks or even you know months or seasons would be really beneficial for me my children the whole family and yet it just feels so overwhelming to begin because like you say, you know, we are perhaps juggling work and childcare and school drop-offs and all these different things. So this is really one of the perfect times, I think, to be thinking about your rhythm because you're kind of being forced into it. Um, I think where I would start, and I think this is where perhaps it's useful to draw a distinction between a rhythm and a routine or a schedule, because I'm often asked if they're the same thing. And I think they have similarities but are actually quite different so a routine or schedule to my mind feels very rigid you know it says that at seven o'clock you have to be here and at eight o'clock you have to be here and I don't know about you but I am somebody who finds it quite hard to stick to schedules and routines and I think they and for me and for a lot of people um can feel a bit dispiriting you know you start off with good intentions but then halfway through the day, something happens and suddenly your whole routine is off, you know, it's, it's been thrown. And I yes, def- definitely. And, and I, I couldn't agree more with you. I have tried so many times to say, OK, routines, you know, people talk about morning routines and this and that. And, <laughs> and honestly, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. It will last maybe three, four days and then I'm off of something, you know, so it's funny that this, this, you know, time that we're in with, with the COVID-19 and, and all of this, I have just deliberately not put an alarm clock in the morning and it's actually working out quite well for me where I'm just, this is time to sleep and I will wake up when I wake up. Um, so it's I love that distinction that you're making between rhythm and kind of a structured routine. And I think even for parents who perhaps are naturally better at routine keeping than you or I are, I think, you know, children often do not conform to routines either. You know, mm-hmm. you might have a plan, but your child, you know, the best laid plans will go awry with them. So having a rhythm is much more about having a flow to your day, which is predictable. So rather than saying you have breakfast at seven o'clock and then you do half an hour of yoga at 7.30 and then everyone plays from you know eight to 8.30, it's about you might still have those exact same points of reference in your day, but it follows a much looser flow. So there's still that predictability there. And I think that predictability is so important, especially for young children, because it helps them to understand 
what is expected of them. It helps them to understand what they can expect from what's going on around them. And I think crucially, it can really help them feel a little more in control. So the analogy that I often use is imagining that you were flown into the middle of you know, a busy city where you didn't know the language. Perhaps you're there on a business trip or something and no one quite speaks the same language as you. They're trying hard. What would help you feel more confident in your time there? You know, you'd probably feel more confident if you knew that, okay, in the morning, once you had breakfast, there would be meetings for a couple of hours, and then everyone went to lunch break at the same kind of place, and then you had some free time where you could take a walk, and then you were expected back at the same place. Whereas if your schedule was completely chaotic, it would make you feel, I think, very uneasy. And young children especially are no different. You know, they're still trying to figure out what the heck is going on around them. And I think so often we can forget that young children are very sensitive to their environment and to what's going on. So, you know, and with the the best of intentions, and, you know, I speak as someone who has certainly done this myself. I'm not a perfect parent. You know, a toddler is playing and we kind of, you know, pick them up or our child is at the park and we tell them they have to leave with no warning or we pick up an infant without asking them. So life, I think, can feel quite unpredictable for young children. So it's about trying to carve out a flow to your day which feels predictable. And I think this both helps children, but also it can really help us as adults. And especially now that we are probably all of us spending way more time at home way more time with our children it can really be useful to know that at certain points of the day for example you are you know the children are going to be napping and you have some time to yourself or you know the tv comes on for half an hour and you can have a coffee and make dinner in peace whilst listening to a podcast so I think that rhythm having those anchors in the day so For a family who maybe is thinking, where do I start? Starting off with really predictable parts of your day. So maybe it's just starting with with breakfast and with lunch and with dinner time and trying to keep those as predictable as you can. And maybe you can do a couple of little things to create more ritual around them. So maybe you light a candle every morning at breakfast and maybe at dinner you all go around the table and say something you're grateful for. And then with repetition, it becomes more of a a real kind of anchor point throughout the day, something that children can look forward to, something which feels calming and reassuring when it happens, no matter what's going on around you. I think that the idea of creating these kind of rhythms can feel really, you know, do I need to make a laminated chart and do I need to schedule every moment of the day? I think look at what your pattern of your day is already. And find the parts that you can kind of build up from there. Yes, yes, so true. And and you mentioned something early on about points of reference, and I know that that for me is a terminology that that you know in the Montessori education. But I would love for you to kind of expand on that because, as you say, you know, children thrive on a certain uh, predictability and in that rhythm. And that, to me, is what also points of reference are. Do you have something to add to that? I think it can really depend on your child. I think for especially very young children, having, um, you know, having things like song to mark certain points of the day can work really well. 
So knowing, for example, that when your parent or your caregiver sings a certain song, it's going to be time to tidy up your toys that you have around. Or that every time you wash your hands before a meal, there's a little song. So I think that can be really helpful to know, okay, when this happens, then this happens next. Um, you know, in the morning when you're getting ready to go out the house, you know, if and when that starts happening again, I'm sure it will soon. Um, then, you know, maybe it's about singing again a little song or a little rhyme. And again, this works really well for young children because that's when we do it over and over again, it becomes a kind of a cue. Oh, okay, this is what's expected of me now. And I think with older children, you can really work together in partnership to perhaps create some visual cues that can work well. So having, for example, a little list that your children can decorate or some just some simple pictures if you have children who don't read yet, perhaps showing that after breakfast, everyone goes for a walk and then you come back and do some baking or some playing or some gardening and then you are maybe going to if you've got your children home at the moment who usually go to school maybe you're going to sit down and do a science project or you're going to have them do some quiet coloring or some writing while you do your own work because I know a lot of parents are managing homeschooling at the moment with working from home as well which is a challenge so I think having some of those kind of visual reminders and cues can be really useful but I think yes. when you start having those kind of main anchor points in your day you can build on them so maybe you start off with lunch and then after lunch you you know when you've got a good strong lunch with them going maybe you build in some quiet reading or playing time after lunch for everyone to unwind a little bit and then maybe when that rhythm is set in place maybe afterwards you all go for a walk together I think it can be as as kind of full or as not and again you'll have some parents I think who like I said tend more towards really enjoying quite a a strict schedule or routine so in that case you know you can build your rhythm a little more fully if that's what works for your family equally if you're a family who likes to keep it you know pretty loose and relaxed then it doesn't mean that you have to abandon the idea of rhythm altogether sing a few songs make the moments that you're regularly spending together memorable um and find things that work for your family. And so one of the things I always suggest to my clients to do is to sit down first and really think about what is it that your family needs. So if you're a family who needs lots of, you know, alone time, then scheduling in daily play dates in your rhythm is not going to work. So if you're a family who thrives on social interaction, you're probably going to need more than just one Zoom call a week to get you through. Um, And then once you've thought about your needs, also check in with what's actually really important to you. Because I think that so often we can, um, you know, and again, I say this with no no judgment. I think it's really easy to do, but we can look at what other people are doing. So we look at other people's blogs or social media and we think, oh, that looks like that's working well for that family. I'll copy it. And then, of course, it's not really aligned to what matters to us so it doesn't work for us and it doesn't stick because it's not designed for us and we think oh well rhythm doesn't work I'm going to throw it out the window whereas if we take that time at the beginning and I always say you know it's tempting to get in there quickly with your your colorful charts and your plans but if you just take 
you know, even just 20 minutes to really think about what do I need? What do my children need? And what matters to us? You know, what do I want to reinforce in my daily life? And suddenly building upon that feels much smoother. And, and that to me is just music to my ear because that is actually a phrase that I you know, always encourage parents to ask themselves is what do I need? Because mm. we tend to be so attuned to, you know, with other needs and we want to, to make sure that everybody is occupied, entertained, whatever. And, and we tend to forget on, you know, what is it that I need? And you also brought up a very important point, I think, is to really that this is collaborative work, you know, to really, for me, it's about sitting down with, with the members of my community, which is, you know, my family, um, and, and checking in with everybody, what does everybody need? And how can we, you know, coordinate all of this together? Um, you know, offline before we started recording, I was sharing how with this COVID-19 stay-at-home orders, you know, I feel pretty privileged in the sense that I, I you know, do live in, in a home with a garden and that I've been working at home for the past 10 years. So it's not a big change. What is a change is that both my husband and my son are now home with me every day, all day, because my son has come home from university. Uh, my husband is no longer going off to work, but is working here. So we've had to readjust. We've had to check in with each other. Um, you know, I had to say this morning, I have a podcast interview I'm doing, please no streaming, <laughs> you know, things like that. So it's really about checking in. And I've realized even with, you know, just the three of us, it's been about, you know, we're, we're shopping a lot less because we don't want to, to go out often. So we're having to kind of plan. We're having to, you know, plan ahead meals and who's going to be cooking and how can I help you and all of that. So it's really about, for me, what's been so beautiful is really coming together as a community. So, you know, first as a community in our family unit and also the community, you know, outside of our homes, checking in on our neighbors and things. But um, that checking in with ourselves and with our loved ones is super important. Definitely. And I think that it is especially when resources, and I don't just mean kind of financial resources, but I think at the moment time, if you have children in the home, feels like a very precious resource. Um, and I think that when those resources can get scarce, I think we can sometimes forget that we're on the same team as our partners or as our children or as those around us. And I think that remembering that actually, you know, even when we're all bickering for the same amount of space, you know, maybe I want to go for a run and my husband needs to do some extra work and how do we get that met? I've really found that actually if we try and say to each other, okay, well, how can I get you to get what you need? You know, how can I support you? Then somehow it seems to magically create more space for both of us to have what we need to get through the day happily and healthily and enjoyably rather than if we're trying to kind of you know grab every moment that we can to ourselves I think there's a lot of difficult and really necessary conversations having happening at the moment probably in families all over the world around how do we now split 
childcare? How do we split homeschooling? How do we split doing chores and laundry and all the incessant cooking that is happening because no one can go out? And I think that those conversations, although maybe, you know, kind of less glamorous than doing yoga or baking sourdough, are so crucial to our own self-care, aren't they? They are. They are. And, and, and to me, I mean, you, you bring up a beautiful point is also that these are important conversations that we're having now because we have suddenly been, you know, asked to stay home and, and it's been challenging. But I think that these are really conversations that we need to take with us as, as you know, as we get through this challenge and you know, life will get back to, I think it will be different, but it's going to get back to, to, you know, a new normal and all of this. And we are going to get back into kind of not having as much time. Mm. And yet I think it is so, so, so important to remember what it feels like right now, having the time that we have and being able to really, um, curated in a way that is is healthy and respectful for everyone so that we can take all of this knowledge that I think we're acquiring now about ourselves about our children about our partners into the future so that we don't go back to not asking these important questions absolutely and I think that you know as I feel very wary about talking too much I suppose about the positives because again like we were talking about before we started recording I think there's a lot of misery going on at the moment which I don't want to play down but I do think that there is you know again I've, I've heard so many parents say I feel so grateful that I have this time with my children actually you know this is the longest I've spent with my children since maternity years you know, eight years ago, nine years ago, 12 years ago. And I think that this is, as you said, such an opportunity to really get to to know our children again if we, you know, are, are not in the position to spend as much time with them usually. I think it is a real, you know, there are there are gifts there if we look for them as well as obviously the, the real tragedies as well. Yes, definitely. Definitely. <clears throat> and and for for me, I would love if you could share a bit more about how, you know, you've been working with parents for many years. Like, what have you found to be kind of the major, maybe, concerns that come up or challenges? And how have you helped them? Or, or, or what would be your, your kind of words of wisdoms or, or your tools to be able to, to navigate parenting, really? Because, I mean, we've talked about, you know, the, the inner work, we've talked about the rhythm and such, but are there other challenges that you see parent confronted to, um, you know, these days or, or you know, pre-COVID-19 as well? Yeah, I think pre and current COVID-19. Um, I think a challenge that we've kind of touched on just now, but I think it's worth maybe expanding on that I see quite a lot. I mean, I think it's worth mentioning that I work pretty much exclusively with mothers. I do sometimes work with fathers as well, um, but that tends to be alongside their partners. 
Um, and a lot of the conversations and worries that come up often are around communicating with partners, around parenting choices, around education choices, around, you know, it's, it's a, a scenario I see often is the mother has potentially read lots of parenting books, she listens to podcasts like this one, you know, she does courses, she does coaching, and so she feels like she has all of these tools she wants to implement in her home and um her partner is perhaps resistant because of many reasons you know perhaps her own childhood was very difficult there are so many reasons why it might be a challenge so I think that's something I see come up a lot is how do I have these conversations with my partner or perhaps with my friends and family around how I want to parent and educate and raise my my children and so a result I often point my clients in the direction of is non-violent communication um, which is a fantastic approach which was pioneered by Marshall Rosenberg he has a fantastic book called non-violent communication um, and he talks about the kind of the simple four-step process um, to approach tricky conversations and challenges so that's really worth if anyone is thinking yes that resonates I can't get my partner to sit down and have a conversation with me um, that's really worth taking a look at because I think those conversations can just underpin so much. That's beautiful. And and it's true that I know for me personally, you know, having children changed my relationship with my partner or it, uh, it definitely was the first time that I was having challenges communicating. Like the, the, it's the first time that we argued about anything was when our children appeared in our in our lives. So so yes, fascinating. Yeah, we're exactly the same. Um, I think I was quite shocked actually by that shift because you know you're so in love with your partner and you have this beautiful baby and then suddenly you're both completely exhausted and dealing perhaps with all of these these issues from your own childhood as well so I do think although it can be difficult because by the end of the day when the kids are in bed the last thing you want to do is embark on these deep and meaningful conversations I think it can be really helpful um, and I think it again to to what we were just talking about in terms of I think the other big recurring theme I suppose that I see is um, around self-care and around things like having a very critical inner voice, um, perhaps feeling very guilty about their parenting, um, perhaps not feeling able to take the time that they need themselves. And I think these are often, you know, flip sides of the same point, because if you want to get your needs met when you are, you know, if you have a co-parent, um, then you do need to have those conversations as well. And you need to be able to value yourself to have those conversations. So I think they they really go hand in hand. Yes, so true. And 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 you know, checking in often with yourself, but also with your partner is to reminding them that they need to do some self care as well. Because I think we we tend. I mean, and I would say pre COVID nineteen because I feel that right now people. I mean, I'm I I I don't want to make a general statement but I feel that because people have a bit more time they're they're maybe a bit more aware of you know taking good care of themselves and and you know you're seeing people doing yoga and things like that but I think this is you know take this with you um afterwards as well 
Yeah. And, and just a question, when you say you trained as a doula, is this work like the, the, the inner work and the really learning to communicate with each other? Is that part of your kind of prenatal work that you do with parents or, or not? I think that it, well, I don't really work as an antenatal educator anymore at all. Um, okay okay it's something that I would consider doing again in the future and it's certainly something I have been thinking about um because I do think that actually it's kind of gone full circle thinking about when I was working with parents prenatally thinking about you know actually the really important work is around the parenting and then now actually I'm wondering if you know starting once your baby is here is perhaps for some families a little too late and actually we should be integrating more of this inner work within that prenatal period when perhaps you know it's when we're expecting perhaps our first child that we have that time potentially to be doing reading and thinking um which we don't have with a newborn um but I think that my doula training really taught me something about letting go of judgment of others um of really recognizing that parents are always doing their best for their children and that you know we can empathize and sit with a woman whilst not necessarily making the same choices in our own mothering journey but still be there fully showing up and respecting and holding her journey and her individual choices And I think that is something I really try and bring into my work, this sense of I have things which work for me, but actually, you know, you are the expert in your own child. Um, I'm not going to tell you to do something. I'm going to sit here and help you work out what works best for you. And if that looks like a very different style of parenting that I'm perhaps pursuing, that's okay because I trust that you are doing the very best that you're doing. So I think that it was a really powerful experience for me. And I think I, in that period of, you know, sitting with a group of other women and training together and sharing very intimate stories together, of really seeing that, you know, there is in motherhood so much that connects us if we can, you know, see past the superficial differences of how is your baby fed and how does your baby sleep and, you know, how, how is your nursery decorated? Do you even have a nursery? All of these things. Um, I think when we get down to it, as we were saying right at the beginning of this recording, you know, actually birth and having a child can make us feel incredibly powerful. And it's also a huge shift in terms of identity and in terms of how we relate to people around us. And I think that's probably in many ways a universal experience, regardless of what then happens afterwards in our parenting journeys. So I do try and really come back to that in my work a lot. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and 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 I mean, I couldn't agree more. I just, um, I don't know if I had shared this with you before, but in, back in January, I trained to be a volunteer doula, and of course, now with COVID nineteen, volunteers aren't allowed in the hospitals, and here in the U.S., um, they're not even letting birth doulas come in. Like the the mothers have to only have one person with them. But it is so, so true what you were saying about this awareness of how we just need to be there to support them emotionally, physically, but we cannot 
judge. Like everybody comes to this experience with their own baggage, with their own knowledge and desire and all of that. And it's been um, like, I, I think I've always worked that way and being very, you know, open to, to hearing what other people, how other people were, were, you know, managing their parenting journey. But this is like training to be a doula kind of brings it up to another level of you're really there as of service. Like I've really, for me, it's, it's, you know, really having to do kind of almost a meditation beforehand of letting go of your own ego and really being there for that, you know, birthing family before anything. Yeah. I think that it's that service mindset, isn't it? It's not change you. I just want Mm. to support you in compassion. And I exactly that is such a beautiful metaphor as well for how we wish to parent, you know, of not Mm -hmm. not wanting to change my daughter or trying to mould her into being the person I imagine her to be. But actually sitting there and, you know, being compassionate and empathetic and just being there to share her journey with her as she turns into, you know, she lives her life and becomes a person that she's meant to be. I think, you know, stepping back from that, trying to shape or control our children and just being so grateful that we're able to share that journey with them, again, is, I think, a real learning we can take from that. Yes, definitely. And I love in your in your bio, you talk about parenting as a radical act. And it is, you know, because the way that you are so respectfully parenting your daughter in itself will is only going to be a ripple effect. Because, you know, if when she goes out into the world, and, and, you know, if she parents and all of that, everything is, is bringing positivity to the world. So beautiful. Yeah, I think often as parents, we can feel so disempowered from change Mm. because Mm -hmm. we can't go on marches anymore. We can't take time to email our representatives all the time because we have these small people running in our feet and it's difficult. But I think that there is something incredibly political and empowering about parenting. I think that, you know, I think I used to think parenting was something private, done in the home only affected the family but then really when you you start to examine it how you parent how you raise children how you educate children I can't think of anything that shapes society more profoundly than those early in you know early experiences which we know have such a strong impact on how children's brains develop and the sorts of people they grow up to be so yeah I do think that parenting in this way although it might not feel easy um, it's definitely not easy, but I think it is absolutely a radical, empowering, you know, a, an act for, for a better, more just world. Definitely, definitely. And, and especially, you know, when when we know like the the all the work that we need to do as adults to undo some of the you know the 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 childhood maybe you know traumas or 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 you know beliefs that we have about ourselves and all of that it's like if only we can understand now when we have these young humans in our home the the impact that we can make if we are really parenting with that compassion and empathy and and respect that they deserve so 
Yes, so true. Beautiful. Beautiful. Eloise, I'm, I'm being mindful of time. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and um, I kind of wanted to, to maybe wrap up, but I know that you have an exciting uh, project that you've been working on that I would love for you to share before we wrap up. Yes, I do. So I, <laughs> I have just written a book, my first book, and it's called Extraordinary Parenting, The Essential Guide to Parenting and Educating at Home. And although I wrote it, you know, with COVID in mind, how could I not have done writing at the moment? Um, I really hope it will be useful to parents, no matter when they end up picking it up. Um, and it's a really short, accessible, um, very practical and supportive guide for parents, um, which really helps them to make the most of the time that they're spending with their children. So it's split into five sections covering um, the kind of respectful, compassionate parenting we were just talking about. Um, we've got some sections on communication. There's a whole chapter on rhythm. Um, there's a chapter on creating a home environment which enables learning and play to really thrive. There's a chapter on encouraging natural learning and joyful learning in the home. And then finally, there's a whole chapter on taking care of your own needs as well. So I'm really hoping it will be useful to parents as they navigate this very uncertain world. And it's available to pre-order now. So yeah, it's exciting to be able to share this with you. Yes, no, it's 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 wonderful and I don't I think it can't come soon enough. So thank you for for taking the time to to write it and to share your knowledge with all of us. It's beautiful. So I I always like to kind of wrap up with a more personal question and you mentioned that Frida is 5. So <clears throat> if you were to go back maybe 6 years ago when you were expecting her what wise words would you have liked to hear knowing all that you know today? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> so much. Do you know, I think actually what I would have said is just that it will be better and more joyful and more delightful than I could ever have imagined. And I have pretty high expectations. So, yeah, I think it was, it's just been that such an incredible experience and honor to be a mother so yeah nothing but positivity <clears throat> beautiful and I love how you say an honor to be her mother because for me I do feel our children are kind of this divine presence and I just I'm honored to be in their presence so that's beautifully said thank you thank you and uh, I know that people can reach you through Instagram or your website. I will have all of those links in the show notes and also um, for the pre-order of your book. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Eloise, for this delightful conversation and for having taken the time out of your daily rhythm to um, have a conversation for our listeners. Oh, I've enjoyed it so much. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. And do come share your takeaways in our private Facebook community. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.